across the globe, across the globe, they listen, and we shall deliver. Come on, nation. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 223. You heard that right, episode 223 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and smash down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Tell a friend to tell a friend about the show. We here at Combo's Court would greatly appreciate it. Today's show, Gerald Borgay, NBA editor and lead Suns writer for The Step Back, joins in to talk NBA and Suns basketball. A great conversation with Gerald. Can't wait for you all to hear it. Find Gerald on Twitter at Gerald Borgay. That's G-E-R-A-L-D-B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's Oni, T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. NBA editor and lead Suns writer for The Step Back, Gerald Borgay. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? Feeling good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, we could get right into the Suns because I was a little bit surprised when Chris Paul signed because I thought he would go to a contender, but maybe in his head he thinks he makes him a contender. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, with Chris Paul, there were a lot of angles to consider. One was that, you know, the Thunder were trading him, so they had the right to trade him wherever they wanted, but they obviously wanted to find a team that would be competitive and could also offer up the right combination of assets, and the Suns kind of checked both those boxes. Um, Chris Paul has been a fan of Devin Booker's for a while, um, and you know he's got that relationship with Monty Williams, who coached him way back in the day for the uh, Hornets back then, and um you know, he, he saw a team that went 8-0 in the bubble. I think that really contributed to the perception that the culture is changing in Phoenix. And all of that kind of gave him the belief that, you know, maybe this team isn't a title contender in year one, but they're ready to make that leap to playoff contention. They might be further along than the Thunder were the same time last year when he joined them. So um, there's a lot of optimism in Phoenix that he and Devin Booker and, and a lot of the other season additions they were able to, to bring in will uh, bring this team back to playoff basketball again, finally. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of this type of conversation, but I think it'll be fun in this situation. Uh, do you believe Devin Booker can be the best player on a championship team? Because I always think that like it depends on who's on the rest of your team, right? Right. Like, and- I, I think there's been that misperception about Devin Booker that he's like an empty stats guy or that, you know, yeah. he's a rude a looter and a riot. I think he there's got rid of that one. with the bubble performance though, right? I think so. And yeah. I, I think everybody else was late to that party because those of us who have had to struggle through Suns games for the last four or five years have watched Devin Booker just do extraordinary things, mostly surrounded by G League talent. Like <laughs> the guy hasn't yeah. had a good point guard since Eric Bledsoe and Bledsoe was kind of already, you know, mentally checked out by that point. So, you know, this is the first, last year was the first team that he really had established NBA players around him. And we saw what he was able to do. 
Um, and that was with DeAndre Ayton being suspended for 25 games, you know, so they right. were able to almost make the playoffs. They still finished below 500. They've still got a lot of work to do, but you know, they've upgraded from Rubio to Chris Paul. They brought in Jay Crowder. They've got depth with Etwan Moore and Langston Galloway. I, I think this team is going to be different and it's finally time that Devin Booker will get, uh, get some respect as a, as a winner instead of just an empty stats guy. Yeah, do, do you miss Rubio? Because, man, I mean, Chris Paul is an upgrade, but Rubio is so good and so underrated as a point guard. He was. And, and Rubio, I want to make this clear to any Suns people listening. Rubio, no matter what happens from here on out, helped lay the foundation for the changes that we're seeing in Phoenix. It's like right. the drastic culture change. It hasn't felt this optimistic since Steve Nash was here. Um, and, and Rubio was instrumental in, in helping lay that foundation, helping change the culture, um, just helping these young guys along, him and Kelly Oubre both. So it was definitely sad to see both of them go. I know a lot of Suns fans that were sad to see them go. Obviously, you still make that trade because he's Chris Paul, but um, Rubio was really, really good here. And, and it was the first time that Booker got to play with a really good point guard in his career. And, and we saw the results. He had an all-star season and was as efficient as ever. So, um, you know, ha- best of luck to Rubio in Minnesota. It's good that he gets to go back home. And um, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the Timberwolves are able to do with that new backcourt they've got. Yeah, Rubio will be with Edwards. Um, it was an interesting draft. And the Suns had an interesting draft. I think a lot of media members weren't very high on their draft. I mean, Jalen Smith, he has a lot of potential, but I think many felt that his skill set is somewhat repeatable with DeAndre Aiden's skill set. How do you think his game will translate with the Suns and at the NBA level? Yeah, I mean, I think Jalen Smith was definitely a surprise, kind of like Cam Johnson was a surprise the year before. You know, they traded down and they snagged a guy who they probably could have gotten five to ten spots lower kind of same deal with Jalen Smith this year. They didn't trade down this time, but they took the guy that they wanted. Um, You know, last year when Cam Johnson was taken, Brandon Clark was still on the board. And that was a guy that a lot around a lot of people around Phoenix thought would be a really good fit here. And Brandon Clark obviously had a really good rookie season. So did Cam Johnson. Um, So you're kind of hoping for that same sort of thing because um, Devin Vassell and um, Tyrese Halliburton were still on the board this year when they took Jalen Smith. And those were two guys that a lot of Suns people thought would be good fits here. Um, Jalen Smith is going to be interesting because a lot of people have already brought up that he's a really good shooter, which is a good thing. You want to stretch big in today's game. Right. Um, but like you said, there are concerns over whether the Suns just spent a top 10 pick on a guy who might be you know, kind of redundant with Aiton. Um, you know, if you can't play him as a four, if he's only a backup five, then you just spent a top 10 pick on a backup for your starting center. So um, not the best use of assets. They probably could have traded down a couple spots to take him, but you know, there is something to be said about James Jones trusting his drafting and his scouting department and um, just taking the guy that he wanted, I guess it worked with Cam Johnson. So that's what Suns fans are hoping will happen with Jalen. Yeah, you know, with Bagley and Trey, I feel like they both have that Luca cloud hovering mm. over them, but I don't feel it as much when it comes to Aiden. Yeah, I mean, it's it's because, like, Aiden's going to be a really good player. Like, he already is a right. good player. He made really good strides defensively last year. Um, there's definitely the Luca cloud here in Phoenix because, you know, myself included, thought the Suns should take Doncic, number one, no-brainer, yeah. um, and have since been proven 
very right in that regard. Just two I was, years in, I was with you 100. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and but I I still think Aiton has all star potential, and yeah. he made defensive strides. He's very good for this team, and you surround him and Devin Booker with shooters. That's a dangerous offense. So that's going to be fun to watch this year. And I think with Aiton, you're kind of hoping for a similar thing that played out in the 1984 draft. You know, like the Rockets took Hakeem Olajuwon number one overall. They didn't take what wound up being the greatest player of all time in Michael Jordan, but it still worked out for them. They still justified that pick because he, the dude was amazing. They won championships. He won MVP awards. You're kind of hoping for the, something similar with Aiton and Doncic, where Doncic is definitely going to be the better player. But if the Suns win a title with Aiton, if he's a very good player, then you know what? At the end of the day, they still made a good pick. Yeah, um, I'm with you 100%. But um, it, it's interesting. The, the three and D position is the most coveted position in the NBA. And we see that with Jay Crowder. 14 teams were interested? Is that yeah. what's going on here? 14 teams apparently called him with an offer. And uh, he was saying how chaotic it was because, you know, he just wrapped up playing in mid-October. And then they've got this free agency that's all being held virtually. Um, and 14 teams called, which is almost half the league. Right. Um, and, and he said the reason that he wound up choosing Phoenix was – you know, Chris Paul and Devin Booker giving him a call and kind of recruiting him to Phoenix. So um, that's a pretty clear sign that the culture is finally changing because for so long, the Suns have been just viewed as losers, basically. Um, and, and and a place that drove guys away. You know, you look at all the disgruntled players, the Morris twins, Goran Dragic, Eric Bledsoe, how many guys left here on bad terms with the front office there's a new regime in town and, and they're trying to do a little bit better on that front. But uh, you know, it, it, it's good to see that guys actually want to play here for once. So what do you want to start with Harden or Kyrie when it, when we get to uh, <laughs> these two superstars, I mean, I think it's oh, really man. interesting. Harden, it seems like a new team. He's interested in a new team every day, or he's allowing one more team every day to, to get in the mix for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think Houston will just say, Hey man, just, you're going to have to play here for two more years. It, it doesn't matter what, what team you want to go to. Like, do you think that's a possibility? I think Houston is waiting it out for the right offer. I mean, I know that they want to be competitive with James Harden, but realistically, like they, they, they did as good as they could have done this summer to like sort of rebuild with Westbrook wanting out. Like they brought in John wall, who, if he's healthy, might be a better fit for Harden just because he's, he he's not going to try to take on that Batman role that clearly belongs to Harden. Like he's going to accept his Robin role and embrace it. And, you know, Christian Wood was a really good get for them. DeMarcus Cousins, why not? Why not take a flyer on a previous all-star? But realistically, that team still isn't competing for a title. Like their best chance was 2018. The window is pretty much closed. Harden realizes it. I think everyone realizes it. Um, my problem is with the way that he's taking this player empowerment to just new and unprecedented levels by, you know, like not showing up to training camp and being out partying with little baby and whatnot. (laughs) Like that's just not a good look right now. Um, I think that the Rockets are going to bide their time and wait it out for the right offer. Um, You know, if the Sixers get off to a rough start, do they consider making Ben Simmons available if that trade is still on the table? Um, you know, I, I don't think the Nets don't have the most attractive package. The Bucks, who are another team on his list, have like zero first round picks to offer until like 2027 or something like that. Um, I, I think the Nets could put something together. Maybe the Sixers could definitely if they put Ben Simmons on the table. 
And the Miami Heat have a couple of options if they were interested in a Harden trade. But, you know, the Rockets, like you said, they have them under contract for two years. They're not going to just rush into this and dump a superstar just because it's if this situation continues to get ugly, then that might change. But for now, you know, they're doing what they have to do to keep a guy who is a perennial MVP candidate. Gerald, if I'm getting fined 25 grand a game, I'm going to figure something out. (laughs) What do you make of this whole situation with Kyrie? It's it's a complicated situation right now because I feel, you know, Kyrie was labeled unfairly as a disruptor over the summer just for voicing understandable concerns about the league returning to action during a pandemic and also what the NBA planned to do uh, on the social justice front. Like it had to be more than just putting Black Lives Matter on the court or, you know, social justice messages on the backs of the jerseys like there needed to be actual action. And the concerns that he voiced on both fronts were very valid. So to be labeled as a disruptor just for caring about important issues like that, I mean, that had to hurt. That had to kind of break his trust even further with the media, which was already pretty precarious as it was. I do think that Kyrie also brings a lot of this on himself. himself. Like sometimes his message is right, but the way that he delivers it is just so wrong. And it's just it's controversial. It ruffles a lot of feathers. Um, Does it remind you of Dame Dash? Do you remember Dave Dash? He, uh, he was saying how, uh, if you call somebody your boss, you're calling them daddy. Like I, I like the message, <laughs> but the, but the delivery, yeah, the delivery is crazy. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's like that with a lot of the things that he says, you know, the whole flat earth crap and that kind of stuff. It just, it rubs people the wrong way. And if you're in the media, you cover what the man says. And it's not even most of the time, it's not even twisting what he's saying. It's just reporting the ridiculous things he's saying. So I I think he brings a lot of it upon himself. I think he's going to change course on this, not talking to the media front very quickly. And and he had told, uh, I think Nets PR representatives, there had been a report that he wasn't going to do this for the whole season. This was just his way of kind of easing back into the waters of talking to the media again. Um, but you know, even the stuff he posted on Instagram this morning, you know, I didn't see that. What happened? He he basically, he had a quote from Malcolm X, I think. And it was just basically all about like, my message is, is just for the truth. And I don't deal with pawns. He basically called the media pawns, which, you know, rubs me the wrong way because a lot of people in this industry have had to work hard to get to where they are to cover NBA basketball. We're not trying to create controversy, but if you say controversial stuff, guess what? It's going to be a controversy. So I, I, you know, I feel for Kyrie on, on the part that he does care about things that matter and he is a social justice advocate. So I applaud him for that. I, I just think he's going about this all wrong because the media is really a tool that you can use to your advantage if you know how to do it. And, and he's just a guy that does not care to, you know, make that relationship work. Can you see Harden to them? I don't think they would trade Kyrie for Harden because it was a package deal with Durant and Kyrie, right? I don't think that's going to make Durant happy, but he used to play with Harden, so it's all like a, it's a right. crazy thing. I, I think if you're the Nets, you're trying to throw like Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Torian Prince, Jared Allen, and a couple of picks for Harden. You, you want to keep KD and Kyrie and then bring Harden to join them and have that big three. Um I don't think Kyrie's been enough of a distraction to where the Nets are going to trade away a top talent because, you know, as much as Kyrie can be a headache off the court, he's still an incredible player. Um, 
it's tough though because that that would be like the most combustible big three of all time like there'd be so much talent there but the the potential for that to implode would be really high the the thing is somebody would have to sacrifice who would that be uh it it might have to be Harden. i i i honestly think it would probably be kevin durant just because he's I don't want to say sacrifice, but in Golden State, he didn't need as many shots to be effective as he was. Like he was, he was as good defensively there as he was at any point in his career, and that made a huge difference for the Warriors. Um, and I, I think we'd see something similar in Brooklyn because Harden is just so ball dominant. Uh, Kyrie is going to get his in ISO situations. Kevin Durant is kind of a guy who you don't need him to dominate the rock. You can get him the ball in any position on the court and he'll deliver for you, but. Or you could go be... OKC mold and just have him come off the bench. Wow. Harder would be, <laughs> Harder would be six man of the year. Easy, right? Oh yeah. He'd be the front runner for sure. He'd, he'd add another six man of the year trophy to his case for sure. Uh, Giannis, if he doesn't sign, what does that really mean, Gerald? I think you wrote an article about this, right? I did. Yeah. I, I wrote about what he, so he's got until December 21st to sign that super max. And if he doesn't, that basically makes him an unrestricted free agent after this upcoming season. Um, I think a lot of people are going to panic if Giannis doesn't sign that super max. And I think a lot of people are panicking because he hasn't already signed it. And his comments the other day were not encouraging. He was basically just deflecting like, Oh, I'm going to let my agent figure it out. I'm just focused on basketball. If we could just focus on basketball, well, like basketball isn't being played yet. And this is the most important storyline in the NBA. So of course we're going to fixate on it for now. I think if he doesn't sign it, it's, it is a championship or bust season. Like Budenholzer, Giannis have all said, it's not a championship or bust season. It absolutely is. If he doesn't sign that supermax, because that means he doesn't have complete faith or at least enough faith to commit the next six years of his life to Milwaukee. So that means you're basically on a trial run. And I think anything less than a finals appearance, he's gone. So, which is troubling because the Bucks' biggest issue in the playoffs is not Giannis's inability to create his own shot in late game situations. That is an issue, but it's not the biggest. It's not the Bucks' depth. It's not their starting five. It's Mike Budenholzer not playing his starters enough minutes in playoff situations. Like the guy. And some of the times he, he lacks. Uh, the ability to make adjustments or he doesn't want to yes. make adjustments. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to be, he sticks to what works in the regular season and what works in the regular season does not translate in playoff games when coaches are switching their strategies up on a game to game basis. Like you have to be able to adjust. And that's my biggest fear is like, even with drew holiday, even, you know, doing the job they did to round out the rest of the bench that issue is still probably going to be there unless Budenholzer changes course and it's going to come back to bite them again if if he can't make those adjustments. So, you know, the Bucks, as much as they arguably upgraded or at least stayed the same as the roster that looked like it was going to win it all last year, they're, they still got that number one issue just hanging there. And that could be the thing that pushes Giannis out the door ultimately. Gerald, from what we're seeing from college basketball and college football, things are, you could call it a fiasco. I mean, some people are just happy that we're having a season at all. Mm-hmm. But what do you think this NBA season will look like? And do you think a champion will be crowned? It's, that's a good question because COVID cases are as high now as they've ever been. I think two days ago, we recorded like 3,000 deaths in this country due to COVID, which was a record um, just, just for the day. 
And like the NBA is going to be traveling. Like the reason that they were so successful with their restart is they had the bubble. They had daily testing. You know, there was like no one in or out. Basically it was very contained. That's what it takes to beat this thing. That's what it takes to finish out a season is having that type, that type of bubble. They're not going to have that this year, obviously, because you can't, you know, confine these guys to the same spot for an entire season. That's just way too much time. Um, so they shortened it to 72 games, but there's still going to be a lot of traveling. There's still going to be a lot of positive cases. I feel like it's inevitable. Like these guys, it, it's a tough ask for that long to, you know, make that work for an entire NBA because one guy gets infected suddenly two to three teams are at risk, even with the way that they're scheduling it with the back-to-backs and everything. Um, it, it, it's going to be tough for them to get through a season. That's why I, I think depth is going to be important. I still think they'll get through the season, but it's not like the NFL where these guys have, you know, almost a full week in between games. Like these guys are going to have two, maybe one night between games most of the time. So these tests are going to be have to be, conclusive they're gonna have to come back fast um because if they don't one guy getting infected could infect two other teams just immediately like that with one back to back so uh it's gonna be interesting to see how that plays out for sure i i hope that they're able to contain it and prevent the spread but it's a really tall task that they have ahead of them for sure to finish up and circle back uh, what are you most excited about this sun's team and best case scenario best case scenario (laughs) What do you think happens with this Suns team this year? I, I'm most excited to see the Suns playing playoff basketball again because I feel like you know anything short of the playoffs would be a big disappointment for this group. Just the way that you know the bubble was only eight games, but it does feel like some it felt like a breakthrough moment. It felt like finally this team is ready to compete again. With the pinnacle is that a Devin Booker shot, right? Yes. That was that was one of the greatest moments in Suns history. And I don't say that lightly. And it's kind of sad that it came for like a sub 500 team that didn't even make the playoffs, but that's a, that really was a tough was. shot. That was, it was incredible. Tough. Yeah. The degree of difficulty on that shot was insane. Yeah, tough but, shot. Um, but that's the good thing is I, I feel like those are the kind of moments that Devin Booker has delivered for bad teams. And now that he's finally on a good team, he can do that in a playoff setting. And that's going to be fun to watch. Um, my best case scenario for them is probably, you know, I want to say somewhere because, you know, it's 72 game season. So I would say probably 44 wins somewhere in that range. I, I have them finishing with like 41, which over the course of an 82 game season would be What's Vegas saying. I'm not a gambler. 46. I'm just, I'm just interested. Yeah. Oh, Vegas is lower. Vegas is like at 37. Oh, wow. Okay. I think the over under there is 37.5, but I have them winning like 41 games, which over the course of a regular season would be like 46 games. Um, But I I think if they won like 44 or 45 games, that would probably be the best case scenario. Um, Second round playoff appearance is what I think would be their ceiling this year. But uh, you know, we'll see. It's going to be fun because a lot of these guys have never been, on a winning team before, let alone a playoff team in a playoff setting. So um, I'm actually looking forward to covering a good Suns team for the first time ever in my journalism career. Nice, nice. Gerald, uh, the floor is yours. Man, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Let us know where we could find you on social media and everywhere else. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I finally got my Twitter account back. So you can follow me on Twitter. At what happened? G- oh, I got hacked for a good six weeks. Oh, I thought I you might have said something crazy. And got oh, in. no. Oh, okay. Okay. No, no. Unfortunately, not as cool as that. But <laughs> okay. yeah, my account got hacked and sold oh, for $125 online. So that was, that was okay. an interesting experience. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Gerald Borgay. And uh, you can find my work at uh, fansided.com slash MBA. We're at the step back and we've got a lot of good stuff coming your way for we got our 25 under 25 project this week and next week we'll be diving into season season previews. So good stuff all around. Gerald, thank you so much for your time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Anytime. There it is. Episode 223 is in the books. Thank you for tuning into Combo's Court and big shouts to Gerald for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and smash down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app or wherever you listen to Combo's Court. Also, if you have Instagram, take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, tag me at one two. Combo, I'll share it and be on the lookout for episode two, two, four. Combo out.